Hi, this is Steve McRae, founder of the Great Debate Community and co-host of the Non Sequitur Show on YouTube, and you're listening to the CA. Once you assume a creator and a plan, it makes us objects in a cruel experiment whereby we are created sick and commanded to be well. I'll repeat that, created sick and then ordered to be well. And over us to supervise this is installed a celestial dictatorship, a kind of divine North Korea. <laughs> greedy, exigent, exigent, I would say more than exigent, greedy for uncritical praise from dawn till dusk and swift to punish the original sins with which it so tenderly gifted us in the very first place. <laughs> However, let, let, let no one say there's no cure. Salvation is offered. Redemption, indeed, is promised at the low price of the surrender of your critical faculties. Welcome to The Canadian Atheist, a podcast about news, current events, and commentary on all things atheism from a Canadian perspective. Now, if this podcast carries the explicit tag, and where is it like a motherfucking badge of honor? So if you get offended, you might want to switch off. The CA records each week live from Apostasy Studios. Why not join in the discussion? Find us on Facebook, email us at theca at rogers.com, or follow us on the old Twitter machine at the underscore CA underscore podcast. If we're amused or tweaked by your stuff, we just might even use it on the show. And now, here are Michael and Dean. All right, here we go. Welcome to CA. Today is Wednesday, October 9th, 2019. I'm Michael. I'm Dean. Oh, and this is episode number... 93. 93. We're, cl- we're quickly closing in on 100. We are. It's taken, Centennial. It seems like it takes forever, though. Your kids it are does. All, your kids are <laughs> fucking things up. <laughs> we, we Don't try blame to, things on my children. Well, it, um, it's their fault. Um, okay, so this is exciting because this, this talk that we're going to have today, this guest, is close to a year in the making when, I, when we yeah. first reach out. It was, oh, you know, and, and then, but there's, you know, schedules conflicted, and when we make the announcement of who it is, it's going to be like, oh, yeah, of course, well, this fucking guy's, you know, he's all over the planet. He's of course everywhere. he's busy, right? Yeah. So, uh, and then we we're finally able to sew things up, and then we had our flood, which was lovely. Yeah. Um, but now that's all taken care of. But now for the third week in a row. Another we guest. Have, we have someone joining us. So, um, yeah, seriously, unless you're living under a rock, when we make this announcement, you're, you're not going to have any uh, trouble realizing who it is. Um, and our guest today is Matt Dillahunty. Welcome. Welcome to the Canadian Atheist. Awesome. Thanks, guys. I, yeah, I was looking at it when you sent, like, there was a Facebook message from back in January where we were trying to work this out, and then the, you know, the flood happened, and then I got busy, and so, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah. Um, so, so Matt, two-time, and, and you're the current, you're current president of the ACA, correct? Correct. Right. Atheist Community of Austin. Right. And you've been a host and co-host of the Atheist Experience for like a thousand years. Um, I, how, how many years has it been that, since you've been on that? Uh, I've been hosting for 14 and a half. I think maybe it's close to 15. I'd have to look. It's 14 or 15. I don't know. It's a long time. Yeah, Matt is kind of a hero of mine. Oh. <laughs> when I first got into this whole thing, it was Richard Dawkins that kind of ushered me into this whole fight for atheism kind of thing okay. uh, when I read his book. And then I found Matt on YouTube doing atheist experience and it just blew me away how amazing you are at 
succinctly putting your thoughts into words and getting your 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 point across so oh wow so incredibly well everybody's going to call bullshit on that because succinct <laughs> is probably not the word right word to describe me because I'll, t- I'll talk for hours there was somebody said hey can we do a 30-minute interview with you and i just laughed because <laughs> no 30-minute no interview is ever finished in less than an hour well okay maybe it's maybe succinct isn't the best word but you, you put your thoughts <laughs> into words so perfectly and shut down the callers <laughs> in such an amazing way just it, it's it stunned me and i had to watch everything i could find oh well, thank you <clears throat> And we have uh, w- uh, one. We have one person uh, in common that we've both uh, shared close proximity with. Really? Yes. You, you well, actually, about? a couple. I, I've got a couple. Well, the, but all of us have one. Yeah. Uh, last year, um, Cy Ten, who's of course a fellow Canuck, right? Yeah. Um, he was in studio with us. He's I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you know what's interesting, and actually, this this leads us into I guess my, one of my my first questions, one of the first things I'm I'm curious about, and uh, and I asked uh, Aaron, who I met uh, I guess three years ago now at a CFI um, meeting in Toronto, and uh, he was on the podcast last year, and I asked him this question. I'm curious to see what uh, what you'll say, but who do you think, who in your opinion, is the most dishonest apologist out there? Christian apologist, that's what you're saying. Um, it's really hard to say, and I know that Aaron and I have a, have a different view on this, because to me, um, I, I try not to assess people and instead assess action. So somebody isn't stupid, but what they say might be stupid. And somebody isn't necessarily dishonest, but they might be being dishonest. And for me, dishonesty is intentional deception. And it's virtually impossible to tell. Um, you, you basically would be, be saying, oh, you're saying something that you don't actually believe. And I know Aaron thinks, for example, that Ray Comfort is probably the most dishonest. And my thing is, I have no problem at all believing that Ray actually believes what he's saying. I have no problem at all believing that Cy and Matt Slick and others all sincerely believe. And so really it comes down to more of uh, how absurd their argument is or how in, in arguing for what they sincerely believe, how, how willing they are to kind of bend the truth or massage things. I'm, I'm pretty reluctant to just outright call people liars unless I, you know, can make a demonstration of it. Hmm, interesting. But <laughs> I, I think honestly, it may, I, one of the ones that's annoyed me the most because it's pretentious is so William Lane Craig said he wouldn't, wouldn't debate me because I don't have a terminal degree in the relevant field. Sure. And I found that amusing because we hadn't even decided on the topic of the debate. If the topic of the debate was secular humanism, there is no terminal degree, and there's sure. probably not a secular humanist organization that wouldn't give me an, an honorary degree. But the truth is, he's debated plenty of people who don't have a terminal degree, who don't have a PhD. And so that mm-hmm. method of avoiding me in particular uh, when he'll run around and debate others who don't have a terminal degree, if it's you know if it gets him a free trip to Ireland or something, well, he's afraid. That I find to be pretty dishonest. Yeah, that's interesting. For for the record, you're 100 percent right. Aaron said Ray Comfort. Yeah, Aaron and I have had this argument over and over again because I I, I know Ray. I like Ray. I I'm convinced that Ray sincerely believes what he says. Aaron's big argument is basically, 
there's no way he can have, you know, evolution explained to him this many times and not get it. And I'm like, my, my counter to Aaron was, Aaron, there's no way I can tell you that I sincerely believe Ray this many times and have you not get it. <laughs> yeah, perfect. No, perfect. That's, that's I, perfect. I used to, I believe the same things Ray did, you know, that doesn't make me dishonest. It makes me wrong or, or absurd. Right. Well, Psy 10 is, has a very um, genuine quality about him. I, mean, I don't think he's, I, I think he literally believes everything that he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he yeah. sat in the studio and we, we were chatting, looking into his eyes, you could, you could see that he was genuinely concerned for our eternal welfare. Um, yeah. And my, my biggest problems with, with Cy were that, I mean, he, he seems to have a problem with women and he was very disrespectful to the woman who organized our debate live from the stage in the middle of the debate. Oh, I, yeah, I, I've watched it many times. Yep. I remember that. And uh, the other thing with, with him is that, you know, and I, I don't mean to just be silly insulting. Oh, I'm getting an echo on me. Hmm. Just now. Nothing on this end. Is it still there? Testing. Yep. It's maybe it's just feeding back to me, and I'll just try to ignore it. Okay. Um, but the, one of the things with Sai was that I I don't find that he has a clear understanding of the arguments that he makes. He seems to be largely parroting like Greg Bonson and other presuppositionists, and when you push him on this. That's when he goes into the defensive mode of, well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Yeah. Or I, I won't have a Bible study with a self-professed atheist. Those types of things to avoid having to defend his position. Yeah, it's like he he found a found a script and decided, ah, this is the way to do it. Yeah, that's in, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, um, one of the, another thing I want to talk to you about um, was the uh, the weight loss journey that you've been on. Man, I gotta tell you, yeah. you look you look awesome, dude. Like you Thanks. must you must feel amazing. Well, apart from apart from the cold and, and <laughs> various concerns, uh, yeah, I, I I joked once. So I, at my heaviest, I was probably about two sixty five, just under two seventy. And I don't know. Today I'm like one eighty two, one eighty three. So it's you We're know smaller than me, 80, 85 pounds or so. Uh, but that was, you know, I wasn't always at my heaviest. I probably ran around 240 or so f for most of the last decade. And yeah, I, I lost like 30 pounds when I went on tour last March and April over a two month period. Um, I threw, I did a, a Canada tour with the magic and skepticism show in the United States. And I just ate less, moved around more, you know, was carrying my own gear, you know, it was a, small one man show. And then when I got back, it's just been, I don't know, two, three, four pounds a month kind of steady. And it's mostly about just, I mean, I haven't really done anything to deserve it. I joked around the not too long ago that, uh, I might even have some serious health condition. I could be dying, but so far dying feels pretty good. So, <laughs> so I'm not worried about it. So it was a big diet change that that was, or just like not eating crap, like, uh, Oh no, no, no. I, I still eat crap. I, it's, it's, it's not like a rapid inexplicable weight loss. It's been a, you know, over a year and a half, it's about 80, 85 pounds or so, but, um, and it's, it's stabilized. Like I've been between 180 and 185 consistently for two months now. So I don't think I'm going to get much smaller. 
That's awesome though. Congratulations. Thanks. That's good. That's good. My wife's recently lost 130 pounds. Wow. <laughs> but that was uh that was uh based on a um she had uh gastric bypass. Yeah. So yeah. that's uh but it's completely changed her life. Yeah. Your wife's hot now. Oh, did I say that out <laughs> <What>? loud? <laughs> she was before too. <laughs> um we, we share something else in common. I love video games. Love video games. Um but I'm I'm way more of a one trick pony. Like I just I just do racing games. Uh, um, what 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 do you like to play? Like, like pole position? Uh, no, well, I mean, I I do have pole position, Gran Turismo, <laughs> uh, but uh, but my thing is uh, is Forza Motorsport on the Xbox. Oh yeah, Forza oh yeah, Forza. yeah, love 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 that. What do you like to play? You you do like Twitch and stuff too? Eh? It's kind of. I haven't done Twitch much lately. I used to stream Path of Exile on Twitch, but every time I did, it would turn into me standing in town answering questions and giving a philosophy lecture instead of actually playing the game. So <laughs> it's, and it was, it was interesting because people would, would join thinking they were going to see Path of Exile. And on more than one occasion, somebody's like, I have no idea who you are or why I kept watching, but I thought I was going to watch a game and ended up getting a lecture and I enjoyed it. And I was like, oh, thanks. But I, I just like, like games. Um, I've had a deck of cards in my hand since I was three, which contributed to both the love of games and a love of magic. I used to play semi-pro pool. I ran the number one Counter-Strike team on in the United States for several years. I played MMOs. I like The Witness is probably my all-time favorite puzzle game. I'm playing Auto Chess Mobile right now. Um, bunches of stuff. I, I took two weeks off to crank through Red Dead Redemption 2 over Christmas break. Uh, I'll, I'll play anything that you know, I, I think I might enjoy that I've got time to do. The pro- biggest problem is that I don't have as much time as I used to. And so then the big question is, what's your console of choice? And I, I got my I got my finger on the hang up button right now. <laughs> 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 what, what like? So, are you more PC, PlayStation, or Xbox? I was primarily a PC gamer that didn't care much about consoles after like the, the N sixty four. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Goldeneye. So the, uh, Goldeneye. It basically went N64 and then PC games. And then I have a 360 and a PS4 and a Switch. My Wii got stolen and I don't care. My Switch I haven't played in a year. Um, and But I just bought an Oculus Quest and have oh, been wow. playing Beat Saber. So. Oh, neat. Yeah, a friend of mine is a, prof- a professor. Um, he has his uh, PhD in computer design, and uh, he he teaches he teaches people how to make video games, and he's hugely into this this Oculus and all this other stuff. Oculus now. is amazing. He keeps on having to this quote unquote buy equipment to quote unquote <laughs> test, and he's like, yeah. you know, he's a forty year old child who just sits there and he's like, look at this thing, man. <laughs> I, I got him beat because I'm a fifty year old child, yeah. and. I every time they came out with some new 3D or some new VR thing, I would check it out. I'd be nope, not ready. Nope, not ready. Nope, this is a pipe dream. It's never going to be realistic. And then my friend David McCraney came over. Uh, he's finishing up his book, and we sat down and did an interview a couple weeks ago. And he had an Oculus Quest, and the Quest is the one that you're you're not. It's a standalone unit, so there's no sensors to mount to the wall. There's no PC to run it separately. It's basically just an Android standalone in a headset. And I played around with it. And the big problem for me is I 
played almost all the Guitar Hero rock band games at, you know, expert level, full-on junkie, cranked it out. It was at every party that was ever at my house. It's the reason that I have both an Xbox 360 and a PS4 because I'm not going to get rid of the ones where I have those games I can play. And he put the Oculus Quest on me and loaded up Beat Saber, and I was like, okay, this is what's next. And I ran out and bought one like three days later. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember that it was the same way for me with the original PlayStation. I was over at my friend's house, and he's like, hey, you got to try this game, Gran Turismo. And I left his house and bought a PlayStation. I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, This is the best that's, thing. That's, how, that's actually how I bought my PS2. I was over at a friend's house when Guitar Hero, the first Guitar Hero, came out, and he had it. And I left and bought the PS2 with Guitar Hero on the way home because before that, I was just, you know, mostly PC game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you, uh, a couple minutes ago, you mentioned doing an interview. So you have this little this little YouTube thing going with, you know, so the last time I looked, like 120,000 subscribers. Um, <laughs> the Atheist Debates really? Project. How did, uh, what, was, what was your idea around that? How'd that get started? So I've been hosting the TV show for a lot of years and I'm around doing lectures and debates. And usually, you know, I would just burn through my vacation. And uh, when people asked me to speak, I'd just always say yes and try to make sure I didn't go broke doing it. And people kept saying, oh, oh, this is what you do for a living, right? You're a professional atheist. And I'm like, no, I fucking volunteer all my time. And, you know, I, I barely am making ends meet. I lost uh, my job. They closed down our office. And I was unemployed and I was a software QA lead and there weren't a lot of openings and I was sitting around and people kept saying, oh, you could do, you know, the atheist stuff all the time uh, for a living. And I'm like, where's the money in that? And also, if it doesn't work out, my resume goes software, 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 godless heathen <laughs> software. Right. And, and software is not a business that you can like jump out of and jump back into, you know. I mean, because tech stuff changes quickly. And, but Arn showed up. Uh, he and his wife came down to stay with us for their anniversary, and he had started his Patreon. And he basically, you know, said, Oh, you should do this. And I said, All right, I'll set it up and, and see what happens. It can't hurt. Maybe I'll get a few dollars and be able to focus on stuff. And inside of, um, you know, I knew what I wanted to do, I, I knew I wanted to stay within the wheelhouse of, doing debates, talking about debates, teaching how to have, be better at having the arguments, addressing the stuff. And I figured, you know, I'd put out a couple videos a month and maybe that might be enough to cover mortgage and that plus what my, my wife made at the time, we'd stay afloat. And within two months, it was enough where I didn't have to go looking for another job. And about three months after that, it was very clear that I was just going to keep doing this. And so I... Uh, their Patreon took a hit after uh, Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson kind of left and talked trash about it. We had a lot of overlapping fans, uh, which is odd with Jordan, not so odd with Sam. But the the overlap caused a little hit. But basically, I switched from doing three videos a month to four videos a month. Um, I can get that done in addition to doing the magic shows and the debates and the lectures. And it it pays the mortgage and allows me to keep doing the thing that I love and care most about. That's awesome. That's super awesome. So what's the, uh, so as far as debates goes, um, what, what's the, what's the, 
what's your what the favorite one you've ever done? Like the or thing you, one you think you learn the most at? Oh, I don't know that I could pick a favorite. I, I, there are some of them that are certainly better than others. I can I can tell you the debate that I did where I was the worst, and that was the first debate I did with Cliff Connectly because I'd been dead sick for a week, and I just kind of sat there um, and read off my statements. And it, you know, what a lot of people don't get is that debating, unfortunately, is not about who has the best evidence or the best argument. A debate is theater. It is persuasive talk. And, you know, if Cliff's up there being an animated street preacher and I'm just sitting there, you know, doing, reading something off, that gives a perception that is completely independent of who has the facts or who's made a good argument. And so that's probably the worst debate I did, although Cliff and I did a second one, which was much better. Uh, I did a debate a month or so ago on how do we resolve the conflict between LGBTQ rights and religious liberties. Um, and I felt that there was a lot of good things that came out of there that were important because I was in a take no prisoners mode. And basically right from the get go, it was, I don't care what your religious opinions are. You don't get to impose them onto other people. And when your religious opinions come in conflict with other people's rights, you just fucking lose. That's, that's the end. And so then it was all a matter of shutting down those things. I've had great discussions with Blake that I, Blake's probably my favorite debate opponent because we can always have a conversation and we can usually get somewhere close to the point at which, where we agree and where we disagree, where, where that delineation is. Um, but John Ferrer and I did a couple of debates and he corrected me on something and that was helpful. Uh, I, I, actually like Matt Slick, although on several occasions he's, he's been like, oh, I'm coming to Austin, and then either doesn't show up or gets busy when he's here, so we don't get to, to hang out. Um, I, I don't necessarily like debating him because I don't think that he's really debating. I think that he's like a step or two above, above Psy, in, but they're still in the preach mode, not so much in the debate mode. Yeah, um, I think I'd agree I with that. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. In the, in the couple of, or at least in the one that's kind of sticking out of my mind where you, you had this one uh, discussion with Matt, and it seemed like it was just just this side of a sermon for pretty much yeah. the whole thing. Well, when Sly came well, in here, well, he was talking about how, like, uh, I think, it was, I can't remember the, the exact example that he used. He said, God, God made a cow. I don't even know how he does it. And I'm thinking, like, yeah, you do. Because if you've got an alternate view to what we actually know, then you have to back that up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's reasonable. That's reasonable. Um, so with the Atheist Debates uh, Project, I've watched a, a lot of the videos. And you talk a lot about philosophy and stuff like that. And uh, we, what we mentioned before, you know, the reason why um, William Lane Craig won't have anything to do with you. Um, as far as philosophy goes, are you virtually all self-taught? I'm virtually all self-taught on everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a degree in anything. I just found the things that I was interested in and studied them. Now, now it's, I, I, just, I don't say self-taught, like in the fact that I figured all this out for myself. It's, you know, I've studied the same books other people would, would do if they were going to study the field, and I've engaged in conversations with people. And I've been fortunate uh, because a lot of the people who uh, I would have looked up to as experts that I'd want to speak with I've had the fortune 
to become friends with and, and interact with. And so if I have questions about something, you know, I have a number of physicists I can go to and I have a number of philosophers I can go to. Um, and you know, it's, it's a process where I'm kind of an obsessive learner. I, I have a billion hobbies. I, you know, I, I, I'm trying to do something all the time that leads me to a better understanding of the world. And it's, you know, I, I like, I'll use magic as an example. I, I started doing magic when I was a little kid and got serious when I was about 10 or 11. Um, and then performed a bit when I was up to 18, but I've been a collector and hobbyist forever. And, but now I'm on stage with the amazing Randy and Sean Farquhar, who's the two-time world champion of magic. And, you know, I'm friends with a number of incredibly uh, famous and well-respected magicians uh, who I used to look up to. And sometimes I feel like I cheated a little bit, like, oh, you get to do, you know, big magic shows without having to have spent time busking out on the street like some other people. Uh, but it was through the skeptic community that I made those connections. And similarly, you know, I've been able to work with Harris and Dawkins and, you know, plenty of other people. But at the end of the day, it's, what am I getting out of this? And then what am I sharing out of this? Because like, I, I love doing the TV shows, probably. It's, it's on the top two or three of my all-time favorite things. It is therapy for me. It is meditation for me. It is educational. And people look at it and be like, how can you do that for 15 years? Isn't it repetitive? Well, part, parts of it are. But I make a number of gains out of it for me. Like, can, how quickly can I anticipate where they're going? Um, can I come up with a different answer to this same question that I've been asked a hundred times? Because every time I learn something and every time I try to share the things that I've learned. And so, yeah, I, I don't get bored. I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves is being forced to repeat myself. And yet I don't feel like that's what's happening on the show because there's this back and forth interaction. I was that was think, thinking that too. You probably answered this question a bunch of times, but I had a couple uh, of people rock up on my door today with Bibles in hand, um, and they asked me why I don't believe. And I was going to ask you, what do you think the best way to answer that is? Oh, when we start talking about what's the best way to answer it uh, or answer anything, that's... Okay, that's what, in that situation, if somebody's like... So two has Bible in hand door, yeah. and then and says, yeah. why don't you believe they knock on my door and ask, they knock on my door and ask me why I don't believe my, in, in a God. Um, I'm going to say, because I haven't seen sufficient evidence to reach the conclusion that there it is. Why do you believe in which God do you believe in? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly, that's, that's pretty much what I said. I just didn't follow up with the question on why they believe. Yeah. And that's, I, I would, you know, on the show, we talk about it. Tell us what you believe and why. Yeah, and the why is, why is the most important part, and not just why do you believe it, but why do you think other people should believe it? Because it's entirely possible that they could believe something, they could have a good reason for them, um, and yet nobody else could have. Like, I can believe that I have forty two dollars in my wallet, but you don't have good reason to believe that yet, yeah. apart from the fact that it's not an extraordinary claim. Sure. Yeah, and it's funny. I I take a page. Uh, I I take a page right out of your book. Um, when I'm when I'm interacting with uh, with people, I like to go downtown. <clears throat> I don't know if you spent when you were in Toronto. I don't know if you spent much time in downtown Toronto, but we have this uh, Young and Dundas Square. It's like a poor man's uh, uh, Times Square, and uh, there's always uh, Bible thumpers that are out there with their little uh, um, 
megaphones and stuff like that or stand on a milk crate telling me how I'm burning in hell. And, uh, and so I'll, you know, I'll, I'll take a line from something I heard you say on the TV show a long time ago where you said, you know, the, the, the believing is the process of becoming convinced that something is true or likely true. And so, okay, so you, you believe this, you're, you're convinced whatever this is, what convinced you? Like, like what are these couple of things? And a lot of times it, you know, comes down to the person, which is not going to be news to you, but it comes down to the personal experience. It's okay, cool. That's, that's a really good reason for you to believe. But like you said a second ago, what, why the hell should I believe? Because I can't share your right. personal experience. Right. So, so in, in the, in the, so you said a couple of things that had me bouncing back and forth between a couple of different questions. Um, so the first one you, you kind of talked about how you've had the opportunity to meet a lot of your, um, heroes and stuff like that. And so have I, like at INR, I was able to meet Richard Dawkins and, and I had, I had met Lawrence Krauss before at a, another convention up in Kitchener, Waterloo, which is about an hour west of Toronto. Um, uh, Armin, uh, Navabi was there and other people, Seth Andrews and stuff like that. Um, I have artwork from Jeff D hanging in my living room downstairs. Um, oh wow! And uh, yeah, he did a thing on uh, he did a thing on Kickstarter to re- to uh, revive some of the stuff he did for Fiend Folio from Dungeons and Dragons like forty years ago. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I remember that. And I I bought a whole bunch of his artwork because I was really I, I'm I still played D But um, are there any? Do you have any heroes that you haven't had the opportunity to meet yet? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I I used. Here's probably not the right word because it was a funny story that with um, with Hitchens where somebody came up and told him they were a fan and of course he gave them a rather pedantic lecture about how the word fan is derived from fanaticism and he doesn't want people to be fanatics about anything including him and I was a little amused but I was also sitting there thinking you know all all the guy was really saying was I admire your work and appreciate it and so mm-hmm. uh, it's it's not the end of the day uh, Hitchens I never actually got to meet, even though my wife met him, and even though we were at the same convention, um, uh, at, his, at his final convention. Um, but I think probably the, the two people that I'm most interested in meeting and interacting with, one of them I've exchanged emails with a few times, but have never met in person, and that's Dan Dennett. And, okay. of course, Ar- Aaron got to hang out with him, and so Aaron lords that over me all the time. Uh, <laughs> and, and the other one is... Um, James Burke, who presented The Day the Universe Changed and Connections. I love uh, those shows. Were, I've got both. I downloaded yeah. both those series. They're amazing. Yeah, the, the, they were far more impactful to me than uh, than either of the Cosmos series were. Um, but those are probably the two people I think I... I mean, there's a few others. There's some where, you know, like I have mutual friends with somebody that I'd really love to interact with and haven't, like... Uh, I'd love to have a conversation with Darren Brown sometime. Uh, Ricky Gervais and I have chatted back and forth on uh, Twitter and DMs, but unfortunately we've never been in the same place at the same time. So yeah, there's a handful of people that I'd really like to spend some time with. But it's not just about, uh, oh, this is the the celebrity or the hero or whatever else, because I, I know some legitimately famous people who are down to earth and as long as we're going to treat each other like human beings we can have a conversation and i know some people 
uh, of varying degrees of fame who, who I looked up to for things that they've done, but they're complete pricks in person and I don't care to ever speak with them again. That's fair. Yeah, fair. That's pretty fair. Yeah, for me, it's Hitchens as well. Um, he, he uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read God is Not Great and Mortality and Hitch 22. Yeah, just, I, I, so I could just read them and I just go back and start again. Yep. Uh, yeah, Burke is a good answer though. I've, I, I forgot about him, but those, those shows really did impact me too. I was, I, I remember I was, I was, when I was a younger man, I was tooling around the dial and, um, I think it was connections that came on. And I started watching that, and the way that he draws the connections between everything—it's like it brings to it brings to mind the butterfly effect—is that every little thing connects every little other thing, and the amount of research he must have done for those shows must have yeah. been just amazing. Yeah, yeah. and he, 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 oh, well, I was talking earlier. David McCraney was was just here, and there's a two-part interview. Um, McCraney does a podcast called "You're Not So Smart," and he's written a couple books. Um, his new book is coming out on changing minds and he was interviewing me for that because of what I do on the atheist experience. But he and I both have this great admiration and respect for James Burke. Although David has actually worked with him because when David does a show about the Dunning Kruger effect, he gets professor Dunning on to talk about it. And when he goes to talk about, you know, connections and that he actually sits down with James Burke. And so he's going right to the horse's mouth. Uh, his podcast is probably one that, one that I recommend more than any. But we both, I, I, there's the game I mentioned earlier. My favorite puzzle game of all time is The Witness, which was created by Jonathan Blow, uh, who coincidentally we just got in a little Twitter argument the other day, which was the most quickly resolved Twitter argument in my entire history, and completely changed my perception about what can and can't happen there. But he created a game called The Witness, and there are clips from Connections and The Day the Universe Changed in that game, which is legitimately my favorite puzzle game of all time. Yeah, but I, I, I got to call you out on that because there's no such thing as resolving anything on Twitter. <laughs> it always turns into da 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 fuck you, block. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. And so here, so, so Brett Weinstein had said, had tweeted out something about um, the default position atheism being the default position and then something else that was about new atheist, which I didn't get into. And Jonathan Blow uh, had replied with something um, uh, about the null hypothesis was not atheism. And I replied to that and said, somebody doesn't understand the null hypothesis because what you proposed is not only not a hypothesis, but it's not the null hypothesis in here. And then in the span of like two tweets, Jonathan had, changed his mind, acknowledged that we were in agreement, and then we talked about how much I loved his game and how we should hang out sometime. <laughs> so, yeah. There you go. When, when people who are honest communicators, who genuinely want to get to what the truth is, and who have at least some base level of understanding in common, when those people talk, you can watch minds change. You can watch people concede points. You can watch people say, oh, my gosh, yes, I was thinking about that backwards. Thank you. Uh, that's the way things should be. And quite often, there are people who like to complain about the, the alt-right or the SJW far left. Or, you know, I was actually talking with a friend of mine the other day about how people are just unable to see nuance. And so everything becomes either you're on my side or you're a Nazi. 
but there's another problem in addition to that. I agree, people who are incapable of seeing nuance have a problem. But what we're also seeing is a contingent of population who want to see nothing but nuance, and therefore they can never make a decision or take a side. Or they've got some, like, it, just in the news this week, Ellen DeGeneres goes to a Cowboys game and is sitting there with George W. Bush, and she gets some flack for it. So she comes out and she's like, hey, I can be friends with people who I don't agree with, and we should be kind to everybody and blah, blah, blah. And that's a great message, except this isn't just a disagreement about whether you like chocolate ice cream or vanilla ice cream. There's a good argument to be made that this is an individual who stole an election, got us into an illegal war, may be responsible for war crimes, blah, 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 whatever you think it is. It, and, and it was was not pro-LGBT, et cetera. I understand that you can be friends with those people, but you have to also understand that there, there are people who are not going to accept that, and they're not wrong. It's not just about how much nuance can you see. It's about sometimes you actually have to stand up and take a position. And sometimes you don't like I'm under no obligation to, you know, I'm, it's not like there's a gun to my head saying, tell me right now, do you think there's a God or not? But I, it is the case that I'm under a decision on occasions to make decisions about who I want to associate with, who I want to support, you know, who I agree with and who I don't. And this is why I mentioned earlier that I'm careful that I don't try to summarize the entirety of someone's character, like this person is evil or this person is stupid. And instead, I try to characterize the things that they've done because now I can make arguments for that and I don't have to pretend to be a mind reader and I don't have to be uh, pretending that someone is wholly good or wholly bad. And yet I can see nuance without being mired in nothing but nuance. That's an excellent. I almost feel like I have to applaud that, but, I won't. <laughs> yeah. but no. But that, but that, that's a really good point, and, and something that uh, you know, it's like when, whenever I have discussions, you know, I've, I've been trying to. Um, when I when I first became more vocal in in the activism that I do, I was more about having the art. I was more. I shouldn't say that. I was more about telling people how wrong they were rather than trying to have an argument, and trying to change minds. And my wife, who's I tell all the time people all the time, is one of the smartest people I know. Uh, she said to me, she said, are, are you interested, like, are you interested in just hearing yourself talk or do you, are you interested in having discussions with people? And you need to, you need to change the way you're, you're doing this, and, you know, allow for some principle of charity and allow for some, you know, for some of these discussions to take place so that there can actually be a discussion rather than just otherwise just stand and talk at a wall. And, uh, and I took what she said to heart and then, and I, I try to employ that's not always easy sometimes, but, but I, I can really appreciate what you said there. Yeah, and you, my my ex-wife um, or soon-to-be ex-wife—it's not official yet—but we've we've been separated for over a year, and we're still good friends and talk all the time. But she would often have some incredibly insightful things. Like she's the one that got me to stop saying, "Oh, that's an argument from ignorance," because simply labeling the fallacy doesn't help. I came home from the show one day, and she was like, "Are you an idiot?" And I was like, "What?" And she goes, why would you tell somebody, oh, that's an argument from ignorance fallacy? Because first of all, they don't understand fallacies. They don't understand the significance of fallacies. They certainly don't know them by name. You haven't taught them anything. And, and when they hear the word ignorance, they're just going to, most of them are just going to think you're calling them stupid. So instead, why don't you describe what the actual fallacy is by way of analogy or something else? And then say, by the way, that that fallacy is, actually has a name. It's argument from ignorance or argument from that ignorance, you know, and, and then you've actually taught somebody something and not just 
kind of knee jerk said, oh, well, that's a that's a circular argument. Well, if they, if they if they knew what a circular argument was, they probably wouldn't have been making it. What do you think about uh, epistemology? Like, I've been watching this uh, this guy uh, Anthony Magnavaco on YouTube, and he does street epistemology where he comes up and he talks to people, um, and he does it in a very like he talks to them about their beliefs in a very nice, accepting way, but kind of plants a seed of 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 doubt. What do you think of that approach? Yeah. So Anthony and I are really good friends, and we actually did a couple videos um, on my atheist debates project and. He was on the Atheist Experience as well. We talked about our differences in view. I love what Anthony's doing. I think there's great value in it, and it's uh, it's nothing but the Socratic method put into action. But there's a problem related to so street epistemology, as Peter Bogosian kind of framed it in his book, A Manual for yeah, Creating, creating Atheists. Atheist, yep, yep. Is, is not actually a method for creating atheists. And Anthony and I have talked about this, and I think we're largely in agreement, because if you start a conversation, you say, okay, here's your belief. How confident are you in that belief? And somebody says, oh, I'm 95% confident. And then you talk to them for five or 10 minutes, and you ask them again, and they say, well, I'm 75% confident. The question is, did their confidence lower 20%, or were they over-reporting it at the beginning, and they were always at 75%, and they were just, you know, being hyperbolic or overestimating. And if you lowered them from 95 to 75, don't they still believe that? Yeah. And so it's it's not enough. It, it is a good thing to get people to assess their confidence. And there's another problem with that, which is if they walk away from you and they go down the street and an hour later they tell somebody that they're 95% confident in their belief again, you know, that that's the sort of thing that can happen too. Yeah. So it's one thing to get people to recognize that there's, they can put confidence levels on their belief and maybe they should be evaluating those things, but the process, while it can result in changing people's mind. Uh, and I think it's an important step in changing people's mind. It's not like this is the best method or the foolproof method. It's one of many methods. And Dan Earls, who does the truth wanted podcast uh, for the atheist community of Austin, I mean, he actually met Magna Bosco, was a believer, and is now doing an atheist TV show for our network. So we do know that it works. Um, but it's like people who email and say, oh, why do you curse on your show? Or why do you get you know angry or hang up on people or, or that? Don't you know there's a better way? And I'm like, if there's a better way, I'm open to it. But show me. If you haven't... You know, if you're just sitting there and you're on your couch and have never had a conversation with anybody and, you, and you're just like, oh, Matt's doing it wrong. I, I don't really think that you have uh, the data to back that up Yeah. when I, you know, and I'm not saying that I'm doing it right or that my way is best. I think we need a bunch of different approaches because people believe for different reasons. They're going to stop believing for different reasons. They're going to change their mind for different reasons. And it could be the case that I could have a conversation with someone and make you know, they don't change their mind at all. And then a day later, they talk to one of you, and you guys could say almost exactly the same thing I said, and you make headway. And part of that, I think, is because the first time we hear something that's foreign and strange, it just gets dismissed as that's weird. And the second time we hear it, it's like, hey, I've heard that before. And the third time we hear it, now we're in a pattern because we're pattern recognition machines. And also the weirdness has worn off. So sometimes it could be a personality. Maybe they don't like 
my bald head or my goatee or, uh, you know, maybe I'm too fat or too loud or too, my voice is too deep or too high, whatever, where there's a personality conflict. Sometimes it's about who's having the conversation. Sometimes it's about how, and sometimes it's about the place of the, the state of mind of the person you're talking to. So for me, it's about planting seeds and I love what Magnum Rosco is doing. Yeah. I, I think sometimes I, I wonder if you could, you know, it, like, I think it's my opinion after reading, I, I loved Emmanuel for creating atheists and I try to, you know, the whole doxastically open versus close. And all, I, I try to utilize that in conversations as, as much as I can. Sometimes the passion takes over and, and I'm guilty of that. But I, I think I, it might be fair to say that, that Peter Bogosian or sorry, that Anthony Magnavosco has taken this further than Peter Bogosian ever thought it would go. Like he's just taken this and just run so far with it. Oh, now, see, I, I know both of them, and I've, I've been, I'm, and Magda Bosco is a good friend of mine, so I'm a little biased, And but Bogosian and I have talked many times, and he's called me to, you know, answer questions for his class while he's teaching on occasion. Um, but for me, and this is, I don't mean this to be insulting at all, uh, so apologies to, to Pete, but Bogosian's kind of like, I don't know that he's ever engaged in street epistemology. I don't know that he's ever had those conversations uh, to a significant degree. I don't know. He might have. But it seems, for me, it seems like he's kind of like spitballing stuff and sitting around thinking about it and coming up with ways and analyzing stuff from lots of other people's information and, and maybe some of his own personal interactions. And so when Magna Bosco goes out and put in practice, there's nobody I can think of who would be a better expert on the nuts and bolts of street epistemology than Magna Bosco. Uh, and that includes Bogosian, who, you know, coined the phrase, but it's really, you know, just the Socratic method. Um, it's it, it's like the, you know, the difference between the guy who kind of designs a building and, and the guys that are putting up the building. Uh, there's two different types of knowledge there. They're both important. Yeah. Yeah, what I was thinking there for a second was, you know, like, you know, it's, it's a different analogy, but same thing, you know, that, you know, Bogosian wrote the cookbook, but, you know, Anthony's the one in the kitchen. Yeah. Actually, yeah. actually doing the work. So that's interesting. Well, those two, pe- those two people that walked up to my door today, before they left, I said, hold on a second. And I went and I got one of our cards. We have cards that have the CA on it. And it's got like the, it's got our, our podcast on the back and how you can connect with us. And I handed it to the woman and she said, oh, no, no, I don't need this. Yeah. And then she goes, nothing you say on that show can, can change my mind. And I was like, oh, you're starting on the wrong foot right there. Yeah. If there's nothing that can change your mind, then there's, there's no point in even having a discussion. I said, I would stop being an atheist like that if you could prove to me that God exists. Yep. But she's like, nothing you can say can change my mind. Well, then why are we even talking? Yeah, exactly. Just go home or just stay home. But she had another younger yeah. girl with her, like probably like in her 20s. And I was like, let me talk to the younger one because I think that she's got a little bit more plasticity going on because <laughs> the older woman that I was actually talking to was probably in her 60s. Yeah. yeah, I, you know, I run into people and this literally this happened to me three hours ago. Uh, my My life is very weird. And so. Uh, I'm friend. I am like Ellen. I'm friends with people who I disagree with, but you know, friends can mean a lot. You know, I can be friendly with someone and not be friends with them. But somebody on my Facebook friends list posted something that is like conspiracy theorist thinking, 
just garbage. And it's, and there's a lot of hyperbole and exaggerated statements. And I kind of called them out on, on, on this. And they basically came back with, well, I don't want to debate this. And I'm like, okay. And then immediately after they said they didn't want to debate it, they posted another link to me. And I was like, why would you say you don't want to debate this? And then you do like a drive by. Here's another argument. You, what you're looking for is one way communication. You want to tell me what you think think, and you don't want to have to defend it. And my parents had done this before as well, saying, you know, they're closed-minded on the subject of God, and they're never going to change their mind no matter what. And I'm like, okay, uh, it's not, I don't have to have this conversation with you, you know, and clearly we're not going to. Uh, But what I find from some of the people who say they're never going to change their mind, that's an immediate, in-the-moment defense mechanism because they're starting to realize that they are outgunned and unprepared at that moment. And what some of them will do is go off and try to prepare and then come back. And one of the best examples, there was a guy um, who emailed the show maybe four or five years ago, and he said, I used to call your show, and I won't tell you my name or when I called, but I used to call your show from time to time. And I thought you were an idiot and an arrogant ass. And I got mad and I stopped calling, but I kept watching and I would sit there and take notes and I would, I would specifically go out and research with the sole purpose of trying to prove you wrong so that I could call back in and show that you're wrong. And now I'm an atheist. (laughs) And I was like, man, why, why wouldn't you want to come on the show and talk about that? Why would you, you know, I I think he, he was freshly atheist and he was still just a little irritated about it. But I mean, assuming that his story is true, which I kind of have to since he wouldn't tell me his name. Uh, and it's it's not surprising because I've heard similar things from other people who are fine, you know, talking about it afterwards. But I think he was mad that he kind of got forced his own way out of his own religious beliefs. And I'm hoping someday he kind of embraces the fact that he can, you know, enjoy truth and reality and talk about it. For a lot of people, it's kind of like, 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 realizing they're an atheist and they can't tell anybody because everybody yeah. in, in their own circle is, is such a staunch believer that they're, they're afraid. It's like, it's common. It's kind of like coming out of a closet or living a closeted life. You don't want to tell anybody for fear of what their, what their reaction is going to be. Well, look at that. I told you, um, the one, uh, recent email that we got from the guy who's local like yeah, in yeah, Durham yeah. region. Yeah. And you know, he's an atheist, but his, his wife is still a believer and his whole family is. And he, he found, like, he just went onto iTunes and, you know, searched, you know, Atheist Podcasts and somehow ours came up. I have no idea how. And, uh, and started listening and found out we were local. And he, he, he actually sent a, an email this week. Um, so, hey, <laughs> I won't say your name, but um, I think we fixed the, uh, his question was, sorry to just railroad this. Uh, he said we were having problems with, uh, he couldn't hear us on the last podcast. Oh, no. It's, it's our house cleaner's fault. So hopefully this this one sounds better. But it was the same type of thing, like you just said, that you know you have people who you know it's like you maybe you can't you know be be out there, and so you're you you feel whatever you you feel around that. Yeah. Um, but I think with with the story that Matt just relayed, it's like I, I know that I'm not thrilled. Like, I mean, Shannon shows me how things I'm wrong about things all the time. It pisses me right the fuck off. <laughs> um, and I don't want to be wrong. 
right? Yeah. And I stomp my feet like a little child and fuck off. I don't want to be wrong. You know, let me be right. Yeah. And and so maybe oh. you know, and and so you know, maybe it's you know, maybe it's this same type of thing where this you know this person who who emailed the show and said you know I won't tell you who I was. If they are a quote unquote fresh atheist, there's maybe they're still a little pissy about it. You know, yeah. like fuck, man. Yeah. You, you, know, you took away what I believed. <laughs> there's a there's a bit I do in the uh, the Magic and Skepticism show where I talk about what's it feel like to be wrong. Well, it feels exactly like being right because if you're wrong, nobody nobody runs around believing something that they know to be wrong. It, you're wrong because you think you're right, so it feels just like being right, and it's not. Finding it's not being wrong that we're afraid of, it's being exposed as being wrong. And the nice thing that we should be working to teach everybody is that we should celebrate every time we are shown to be wrong because now it means we're no longer wrong. Yeah, that reminds me of a story that Richard Dawkins has of his professor where somebody came yep. into his class and told it and, and told how what he had learned his whole life was incorrect. And he said that the yep. professor came up to the front of the class and shook his hand and said, thank you. Yeah. And you've shown yeah, me how I've been wrong all these years. Yeah. And actually Arn relayed yep. this, uh, Arn relayed a similar story because he didn't think that, that we were monkeys. And he had, a, <laughs> he ended up having a discussion with somebody else. And over the course of about two hours, he had to realize, oh, yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah. Tur- turns out we actually are monkeys too. Cause he, he, he had said that he, he argued, you know, basically black as white. It's like, no, it's like, yes, we're apes. We're not monkeys, blah, blah, blah. I went through this whole thing. And after he laid it all out for him, he's like, oh, fuck, I guess we are. <laughs> and the, to- the only time, the only time where we are corrected and are then mad to be corrected is when the truth is ultimately more disappointing than the fantasy that we believed. So if you find out that you have no good reason to believe there's an afterlife and you've spent your whole life, you know, looking forward to an afterlife, that can be incredibly debilitating. But that's yeah. because your mind was poisoned by this idea of, of what you expected. And so when you find out that that's not real, that's disappointing. But it, it shouldn't take that much effort to realize that now you are better off because... You know, if somebody said, hey, you're going to inherit a billion dollars at the age of 40 and you lived your life up to the age of 40 as if you were going to inherit a billion dollars. When you get to be 40 and you don't get it, you're going to be screwed, you know, because you probably will have spent some of that money and made plans for some of that money long before that and everything else. And because you lived your life based on a lie, now you're in dire straits. But if you'd have found out maybe at 20 that hey, you're not going to inherit this at 40, or you don't have any good reason to think you will. And when you get to 40, whether you inherit the billion dollars or not, you're probably going to be better off because you didn't live, spend 20 years of your life in anticipation of this. You see, you say screwed. I say homicidal. <laughs> Where's my money, motherfucker? <laughs> you told me I'd have this money. A lot of people don't want to believe either because they, they, like, they say there just has to be something else. Yeah. Why does there have to be? Because that's because there does. Yeah. <laughs> it's like no, yeah. there doesn't. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's, it's those interesting conversations where, you know, I, as much as I might, you know, make fun of Sai for for doing that. How do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that? It's it's not an entirely uh, flawed way. I mean, if somebody's making claims and you're asking, okay, why should I believe that? Why should I believe? You know, because I'll say, why do you believe God? Well, because the Bible says, yes, but why do we care? 
what the Bible says. Ah, because you know, and then you get to where you can either show that it's circular, that the you should believe the Bible because it's from God, and that shows that it's a Bible. Or you get back to this, well, we just have to take it on faith. Or you get to the thing uh, the dean was talking about where it's like, well, we there just has to be something. Well, why? Because there has to be. You get back to that, that stopping point. And that is the point where, and this is just my opinion from having these conversations, that's where I stop, stick a pin in it, and say, go off and think about that. Because if you're at the point where you've, you've reached the end of the loop or the end of the trail, that's the point where you want someone to stop and think about how and why they ended there and how and why they couldn't go further. Because most people don't have an understanding of sound epistemology or methods of investigating. They don't understand skepticism. They don't understand critical thinking. And it's because we don't have to live our lives that way. You know, today is pretty much the same as yesterday. I can run with my gut on most things and I don't have to sit around and analyze. And there are experts who I can reasonably trust because, you know, yeah, there are people who are out to get you and there are people who are trying to rip you off or lie, but also most people are generally honest and seeking the truth and trying to help people. So at the minimum, even if you believe an expert that turns out to be wrong, at least you're in good company because you're with the genuine experts. And so that's how we live our life. And when we run up against these things where we hit a roadblock in our thinking, that's the time for me where instead of continuing to argue, I'm just like, let's stick a pen in that, think about that, come up with a better answer, and I'll be here ready to listen. Yeah. Well, the people that came to my door, they actually said they were going to look into that and come back. So I hope I'm working from home when they come back. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're going to come back. <laughs> Probably most, most of the time, I think people don't. Uh, it's, it's nice. And this was a recommendation I've given to atheists as well, too, because people are like, well, how do I have these conversations? I don't know as much about this subject as you do. And I'm like, well, first of all, you don't owe anybody an explanation for what you believe or why. Second of all, if we're talking about you know religious claims, they are the one who are essentially selling a product, and you don't have to buy it, and you don't have to give a reason for not buying it. But if they say something that you don't understand or that you want to research more, you can say, let me research that and get back to you. But if you say that, you should definitely research that and get back to them because we should do what we say we do. No, that's reasonable. Um, so here, here's something that I, I wanted to. to um, this is something that I was. I think I was hung up on for a, for a long time, and I still. And I've come to the point now. I'm just going to preface what it is that I'm going to say. I've come to the point now where I don't think it's a sword worth throwing myself on, meaning that I'm happy to go with whatever anyone else wants to to say. Having said that, you, you know, you, you, you talk, uh, one of the things that I've, uh, I've, I've watched over the years, I think I've been watching you on the, on the TV show now for, I don't know, I want to say, say seven or eight years. And, um, I, I've watched you kind of grow more into, grow may sound condescending, I don't mean to sound that way, but I've watched you grow into the more, like more y- using philosophy and, and more, um, philosophical arguments. Um, so, so the question I have for you is, um, being so philosophically minded, why is it that you seem to be stuck? And that's the wrong word too. Why is it that you, that at least from what I've seen, you like to go with the dictionary definition 
of atheism or atheist versus the more philosophical one. So the, so the dictionary it, definition being, you know, um, you know, does, you know, lacks a belief in a God or gods versus the philosophical one, you know, believes that, you know, generally believes that gods don't exist. It, it's curious that you phrase it that way because I'm on record, I don't know how many times of saying uh, dictionaries describe usage, they're not authorities. And I'm not citing a dictionary ever for anything. And whether it's, you know, the, if you looked up atheists in the dictionary, all the various ones are there, including the one that you're describing as philosophical, although I would argue that the philosophical definitions um, include um, just disbelief. The weak atheist, strong atheist thing of I, I do not believe versus I believe that this is not true. Um, I'm fine with either in context, but the point is theism is a claim. Our theism is the acceptance of a claim, and the claim is some God exists. And it is just a fact that you either accept that claim or you do not accept that claim. And if you accept the claim, that's what we label theist. And if you do not accept that claim, I don't care what you call it. I, I think that that's what most people refer to as atheist. But you can call it non-theist or whatever else. If the words are getting in the way, then let's talk about what the actual position is. Somebody says there's a God. They believe there's a God. I don't believe there's a God. Now, depending on what God we're talking about and everything else, I might actually actively believe that that God does not exist. But there is a problem with trying, with holding a position that is unfalsifiable. And so if your position is there are no gods, that is an unfalsifiable position. Actually, sorry, <laughs> let, me, let me correct that. Uh there, you could falsify that by actually demonstrating there's a God. It's, if the position is there are no gods, you're now holding a position that you have no way to demonstrate. And so all you will ever end up doing is saying, oh, well, this God hasn't been proven, 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 this God hasn't been proven. That's fine. It is a reasonable position to say that you know, I'm not saying I'm absolutely certain, but I believe this God doesn't exist, or I believe no gods exist. But the second you do that, you have now made a positive claim that shifts the burden of proof onto you. And so somebody says, how do you prove there is no God? Well, you can't. You cannot prove there is no God. You could prove there is a God by demonstrating one, but you can't prove there is no God because that would require, you know, exhaustive knowledge of everything. So I just try to keep the burden of proof where I think it belongs. It's just like if, if somebody says um, vaccines cause autism. Now, that's a testable claim, and we can show that there is no correlation, no, no causal connection between vaccines and autism. But if somebody says holding a banana to your ear keeps elephants away, well, they can sit around all day with a banana in their ear and go, look, there's no elephants. Clearly it works. And that doesn't mean it works. But you have no way of demonstrating that it doesn't work until you, you know, put somebody in face-to-face in, uh, -face with an elephant at the banana. And, and for the God question, we can't do that. Yeah, no, and, and it's funny because for the, for the longest time, I, I, was, I was right with you. And I, 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 watched, uh, I watched a few different uh, things on YouTube where I, I, heard, I heard somebody say, well, and I forget who it was now, 
but I heard somebody say, well, you know, I'm definitely atheistic towards ex-God, right? Towards Yahweh, for example. But I'm agnostic when it comes to other gods. Like I, you know, I'm. Oh, that's garbage. You know, I'm. I'm really sure that you know. I'm really sure that you know this god doesn't exist. You know, that's but garbage. But I'm. You know, but I'm not convinced that these other gods exist. And and it's funny because when I started having this conversation with uh with with another friend on on Facebook, and uh, he's heavy duty into philosophy as well, and. Uh, and and you know he he started talking about how you know where you know if, if you you know if you if you're gonna have these types of conversations, um, you know when it comes to academia. And I stopped there. I'm like, but I'm I'm not. I'm just having conversations on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. Like I'm not I'm not debating you know PhDs and anything. Um, it doesn't matter even in academia. And so theism and atheism address belief. Sure. Gnosticism and agnosticism address knowledge. Sure. Yep. Knowledge is a subset of belief. So it's not I'm an atheist or I'm an agnostic. That's, those aren't two things. It's not like agnosticism is some middle ground between theism and atheism. There is no middle ground between I believe and I don't believe. Those are logical negations. There's no middle ground between X is true and X is not true. Hmm. And, and yet, and it's funny because so, so would you dis, so would that, would you disagree with the Dawkins scale? Yes, I've always disagreed with the Dawkins scale. Yeah. Um, and now, yeah. I understand colloquially, colloquially, that is just a measure of your confidence um, towards a thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I drew up a slightly different scale, but it's fine for what it is and in a colloquial sense, but it's it does misrepresent the case because it presumes that either you believe there is a God or you believe there is no God, and that's not true. That's like saying you are either convinced that the defendant is guilty or the defendant is innocent, right. and that's not the case. We only address guilt, and you are either convinced of guilt or not convinced of guilt, but not convinced of guilt is not equal to convinced of innocence. Right, yeah, I, I, remember, hearing you say that, uh, I remember hearing you say that a couple of times. Yeah, I find the whole thing interesting. At the end of the day, whenever I'm talking to somebody, and as you said this before, I made the point, is that, is that I'm happy to go with whatever... I'm happy to go with whatever they want. I'm not prepared. That's not the sword I'm prepared to throw myself on. And I don't want yeah. to get hung up too much on definitions. Cause then you, yeah, you, I did a video about labels where I ultimately came down as like, I don't, I don't care what you call yourself. Yeah. If what you call yourself is getting in the way of us actually talking about what you do and do not believe or, you know, then throw the labels out. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, you had an interesting, uh, conversation. Uh, I watched the, uh, I watched the conversation you had with Jordan Peterson and I, 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 I gotta tell you, he's a, he's a fellow Canuck and yeah. uh, I don't like him at all. Um, so, and I, I, so I mean this question somewhat tongue in cheek, but actually somewhat not tongue in cheek <laughs> because I don't know what I would do if faced with him. Well, actually, I, I, I don't think I'd actually do this, but, um, so how did you avoid punching him in the face <laughs> when you were talking about B, Bill C-16? Like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. Oh, it's, it's easy. I don't have any propensity towards violence, and I'd rather expose someone as being absurd and allow them to look foolish. I mean, the guy, you know, said so many ridiculous things while we were on stage, and that's not even approaching some of the more ridiculous stuff he said where he looks at, you know, Oh, I, I like that. Yeah, I like the one. The uh, what was it? Representation of DNA. Oh no, I, I like the the metaphysical substrate of the universe. That was my, that was <laughs> yeah. my favorite one. Met, the metaphorical substrate. Pardon me, metaphorical. Yeah. 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 I love so that. He's one. he's obsessed with 
he's obsessed with finding meaning and finding and, and a story and a narrative and this internal human connection. And yet, if you listen to him, he'll, if you ask him questions about something related to science, he'll give you an answer. And then if you ask him other questions, you know, it's like, well, let, I, we started off with the, you know, I, I, I jokingly said, we we're going to start off with the easy question and, you know, is there a God? And it's funny to watch him dance around. Um, oh, I he was almost physically uh, shifting in his seat when you were having that conversation. Oh, it was. Oh, he was. Yeah. And, and, and slouching and moving around and everything else and saying things like you can't quit smoking without uh, a spiritual experience, you know, that they proved this with hallucinogenics. And other. It's, it's just bizarre. And the guy, I, I'm sorry, I know he has tons of fans, but like Hugo and Jake, uh, who, full disclosure, are friends of mine uh, from Bible Reloaded, they went through his 12 Rules for Life book chapter by chapter, read it all, did individual videos for each chapter, pointing out what he got right and what he got wrong. Uh, I don't understand his appeal, uh, or, or at least I don't understand why the appeal persists when there are people exposing how absurd what he's saying is. Yeah, I just think he's a, I, the the whole Bill C sixteen thing up here, which I'm you know I'm sure you're familiar with. It just with that that kind of sealed the deal for me. I just like well, you're just a dick. Like like what is it? You know, it's like it's no skin off your back to to you know identify people as they identify, and the fact that you think that that's in, infringing on your rights in some way. You're just a dick. It's I, even it's even kind of worse than that because he said publicly that he will use people's preferred pronouns. He just didn't want the government to be forcing you to do that. And I'm like, but the government wasn't forcing you to do that. Yeah. And, and so all your, you are willing to use people's pronouns, but you're so bothered by this that you've created a fictional account in order to give other people ammunition to be a dick. Yep. So you as mentioned, as, well, as far as, as, as not being able to, to, to nail down anything, like I think like Deepak Chopra is like that too. He just <laughs> throws out a bunch of words and expects yeah. it to mean something. Oh, the, it's like oh, you have yeah. no idea what you're saying. What is it? The, the Deepak Chopra quote generator on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That thing's hysterical. Um, yeah, we did, a, we did an episode of uh, Mr. Atheist where he had done quotes like that for various people, and, and Deepak Chopra is fun. Yeah. So you mentioned a few minutes ago, you mentioned uh, stuff around your mom, and, and you've, you've talked about the, the differences uh, a lot. Has there been any movement in that, or is it still very much we don't talk about these things, we get together and just enjoy each other, or has there been any movement at all over the years? Um, well, it's we, we didn't have a conversation for many years. Then we had one last Christmas for about six hours, and then for my 50th birthday, they sent me this incredibly passive-aggressive birthday card, which I read out on the TV show. To yeah, show I watched that. That was, that was heart-wrenching. Yeah. Um, and no, there's, there's, there's not been any other movement there and there won't be. Um, it's, it's pretty much done. Yeah. That's too bad. It really is too bad. I mean, my, yeah, my, my mom was, was a Catholic, but you know, I mean, she just, she, she was more just kind of like, well, you know, whatever. I still think you're wrong, but whatever. <laughs> Yeah, my parents believe, and they want to believe, because I lost my sister a few years ago, and they want to believe that they're going to see her again someday. Sure. And they've, yeah. gr they've grown up their whole life, you know, being 
in that mindset that there's something else afterwards. But they know where I sit, and they're fine with it. Um, I, I don't think they're really that devout either. They know that, you know, maybe maybe it is all bullshit, but they're going to believe it anyway. <laughs> Pascal's wager to the rescue. Yeah, so we've had a couple discussions about it, but nothing, nothing seriously in-depth. And uh, I think my dad's a little bit more set in his ways than my mom is. But, uh, but yeah, we get together. We just, we just don't talk about it. Mm. So, oh, when, I, well, when I actually told my mom that we, that, that we were doing this podcast, I yeah. said we're going to do an atheist podcast, she goes, don't get too much in that atheist stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I forgot to ask you guys, do, do you edit this down or is this just big, one big, long thing? This is just one big, long thing. Zero edits. Yeah. No, everything is just... I can cut out the... You know, I can cut out, uh, you know, um, stuff if it... Uh, like, sometimes Dean says his kids' names. And I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, man. You said your kids' names. <laughs> but it's... A, no, you know, I, I, just gonna, I was just going to mention that I've got about 10 minutes left before i got to get ready to go pick somebody oh. up at the airport. Oh, no, that's oh, yeah. okay. Uh, so just really we'll wrap to, it up. Yeah, so um, one last thing I want to talk about is when the hell is your book coming out? Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Next time, I'll just give you a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it. Yeah, yeah. You know, just stab me with a spoon. Uh, I, I have no idea. Um, every time I started to get more work done on it, something came up. And in the, in the past year and a half has been uh, crazy with all kinds of miscellaneous drama stuff and yeah, who knows? Uh, I'm hoping maybe sometime next year, but at this point, never is it actually a real possibility, or at least it feels like that some days. Well, what we'll do then is we'll schedule another for you to come back, and the topic of that will be your book, so now you'll have to get to work on it. <laughs> well, yeah, right. because we yeah. say so. Or, or I can just keep saying no to podcasts. Uh, well, yeah, there's that possibility as well. <laughs> no, um, say it ain't so. Yeah. So, so Matt, how can people uh, reach out to you? And more importantly, uh, how can people uh, support you in the things that you're doing? Uh, the easiest way, uh, patreon.com slash atheist debates. That's where I post the videos. They're available to everyone for free. Patrons just get them early and, and they form fuzzy of supporting what I do. Uh, also, atheist.org, the Atheist Experience TV show. Mattoni.com is up, but it hasn't been updated, and it's going to go through a revamp. So, honestly, my Facebook page and the Patreon thing are the easiest ways to, to find what I'm doing and, and get a hold of me. Yeah, and like we've talked about before, anyone who's, uh, anyone who's hearing this, uh, you, like we've said many times before, we do this for the activism. So go out there and support um, go and support these these guys like like Matt and and uh, you know give them if anything you were thinking about giving us give to give to him and uh, you know because I just have a regular old job. So. Unless it's like a firstborn, I don't need any kids. So you can go ahead and give your firstborn to these guys. And Sweet, give, give me money. <laughs> we don't need any more kids. <laughs> yeah, we don't need any more kids. Yeah, <laughs> one was enough for me. yeah one was enough for me and Jesus Christ. Um, okay, so. Uh, that puts us at, well, you know, we're still pretty much right on track, man. Cool. This puts us at an hour and 15. We're usually about an hour and 30 or so. Yeah. So this and was... And Matt, uh, thank you very much for coming on. You've, I've always looked up to you and, and, and what you do, and uh, it was great to actually sit down and talk with you. Oh, thanks so much. I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, this will be, uh, this will, hopefully I'll have this up, you know, well, I'm not doing anything for the rest of the day, so maybe I'll get it up later today. And I'll, uh, I'll tag you in it, and you can uh, feel free to uh, share away and... 
and all that other fun stuff. And we'll do uh, a quick, do a quick little hang. I'll do a quick little uh, ending here, and then we'll uh, say goodbye off air like civilized people. Sweet. So, I guess this is enough trouble for us to get into for one week. Yep. But uh, we'll hopefully be back at you next week with another another episode. We got to start planning episode one hundred. We do. We got to start planning one hundred. Um, but on uh, Halloween. Yeah, on Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Boo. Um, yeah. But uh, until next week, I've been Michael. I've been Dean. And we shall see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been The CA. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please drop by the iTunes store and give us a review and subscribe to get the latest episodes as soon as they release. Just a reminder, the views expressed on this broadcast are solely those of the hosts and are for entertainment purposes only. Never take advice from two guys expressing an opinion on a podcast. That's just silly. See you back here soon.